there are all kinds of ways of being lost, you know. It's part of what makes Jesus' parables in Luke 15 so memorable. We just heard the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And right after those is that parable of the lost son, or what we sometimes call the prodigal son. All three of these parables have been written about and painted about and have probably had youth group games and VBS crafts made out of them. And I have a hunch that's because they're not only vivid stories, they're stories that speak to us about our life. Most of us have been lost, and more than once, because there are all kinds of ways of being lost. And it seems to me that in different seasons of our life, we find ourselves lost again and again, but in new terrain or in new ways. So this morning, I want to tell you about a few of my own stories of being lost, and I hope that as you listen to me share some personal stories that you'll understand. I'm not just telling these to talk about myself or to get sympathy for some of the things that I went through. I want to tell you these stories to help you see some of the many ways that you can be lost in this world and how it can even change in different seasons of your life. And and maybe sharing some of my own stories will help some of you who are feeling a bit lost these days. I also figured today is a pretty great day to share some of these stories because one of them in particular involves you, Dayspring, and you may not know this, but today is our 10th anniversary as pastor and congregation, and so I wanted to honor this day and our relationship, and I want you to know how much you've come to mean to me. Well, my first story comes when I was probably only five or maybe six. Our family went to a large arena in Kansas City to see Disney on ice, And at one point, my dad got up to purchase some refreshments and go to the bathroom, and he asked me as he was sliding across, I was sitting on the edge next to the aisle, he asked if I wanted to come along, and I said no. That was until he was about three-fourths of the way down the long stairs when I suddenly changed my mind. And so out of nowhere, I changed my mind, and I jumped out of my seat, and I ran down the stairs after my dad. Only the problem was, of course, my dad was way down those stairs. He had no idea I was following him. And, well, my mom, she didn't quite see what happens, and she had no idea. I hadn't just left with my dad to begin with. He probably said he was going to bring me. Well, needless to say that by the time I got to the bottom of the stairs and I wandered out into the crowd... I I couldn't find my dad. I turned around and, well, there was now a crowd on that side of me and I couldn't remember which way my seat was. All those rows and aisles looked the same to me and suddenly, in a moment, I was a six-year-old little boy completely lost in a swarming crowd of thousands of people. I had no idea what to do or where to go. Of course, that was a long time ago, but when I close my eyes, I can still recall some of that feeling of confusion and helplessness and wondering what was going to happen to me. 
Well, the story goes that after my dad went to the restroom and stood in line for refreshments and ordered refreshments and carried them all the way back up that row to where my family was, my parents had one of those terrifying moments when they realized what happened. Now, by that time, who knows how long I had been lost. So in a kind of determined panic, my mom, she jumped up and she ran down those same stairs to go looking for me out in the crowd. But of course, I was nowhere to be found. She began frantically looking all over, but with no luck. And so then she found a security guard and went up to a security guard who was oh so helpful as to say, well, there's no way you're going to find him and all these people. (laughs) My mom tells me that it was in that moment that something deep in her rose up and said with all confidence. Oh yes, I will. As I remember it, I wandered around this sea of people when eventually some stranger bent down to talk to me and she asked if I was lost and I was probably nodded yes. And she took me to, of all places, the lost and found department. And that's where I sat waiting wondering what would happen to me next. Now, in my memory, I was actually sitting in a kind of large lost and found box with other lost and found coats and teddy bears and random items. My mom assures me that that was not the case, but that's how my six-year-old brain interpreted what was happening. The other memory, though, I still have, is sitting there and seeing my mom's tweed winter coat walk into the door. I I can't picture my mom's face in that scene, just her coat, but it was in that moment that I knew mom had come. She found me. Sometimes in life, you can be quite literally lost. Every bit as lost as a sheep that has no idea where to find its flock And you might end up in some surprising places with other forgotten people or things, who knows. But it's in those times that all you can do is sit and wait. And that's hard. It's even harder for us adults than it is for a six-year-old. But sometimes you just have to hunker down and wait and trust that eventually the shepherd will come and find you. I don't know when or how, but eventually mama will come walking in and take you home. When I was in middle school, I got lost in a different kind of way. You see, I grew up in a part of Kansas City that wasn't exactly the most desirable part of town. I thought it was fine, though. Our house, it was on this dead-end street, and we always kind of thought of it as nice, quiet street, and it was it first, I guess, except for after a few years later when that mom and her kids who lived across the street came running across the street to our house and knocked on the door because, well, her husband was drunk and had a gun and wanted to know if they could hide inside of our house. And mom told us maybe we shouldn't go outside. But otherwise, you know, it was it, it was fine it, and nice except for maybe those neighbors that moved into a different house across the street from us who always seemed to have these 
strange, expensive cars coming and going, and it kind of made my parents wonder what sort of business they might be running out of their house. It was a nice and quiet area, really, I guess, except for that year or two when the gas station across the high school near us kept getting held up at gunpoint and maybe even had a shooting or two, I can't remember, but, but I mean, we always felt safe. Sure, in high school, I learned that parents in other parts of Kansas City told their kids they weren't allowed to come to our part of the town, but we didn't mind it, at least most of the time. The biggest drawback, though, honestly, was the schools. Now, I was pretty fortunate. From fourth to sixth grade, my parents put me in a private school that was a part of our church, and I loved it, and I thrived there. But a time came when the cost was just too much, and mom and dad had to break the news to me that they just couldn't afford it anymore. And I know it must have broken their heart as much as it did mine, but facts are facts, and money is money, and not everyone has the same, do they? And so, starting in the seventh grade, I went from this suburban private school to an inner-city ghetto middle school. And to be quite honest, I think it was a harder culture shock for my insecure middle school self than if I had moved to a foreign country. I can't tell you for sure how many evenings I sat on my parents' bed with tears in my eyes because of how hard it was, but it happened quite a bit. There was bullying of all kinds that year and loneliness like I had never known. Not only did I have no friends, it was pretty clear I just didn't belong and I stuck out and, well, no one was really going to be all that interested in becoming friends with a kid like me. It certainly wouldn't help their reputation. The whole year went on like that, day after day. Week after week, month after month. And you know, that does something to a kid. You lose that innocent confidence you have as a child and you become that self-conscious, insecure adolescence. You lose something that you didn't even realize you had before. That shiny sense of value. I imagine it's a bit how a lost coin might feel. After all, what good is a silver coin hidden under some cushion, getting sat on, forgotten all about, growing tarnished? The truth is, it's good for nothing. And well, the longer it stays there, the more it loses its shininess and starts to know it's not really good for anything. Now, in Jesus' story, that coin was found and celebrated, and that must have made all the difference for the coin, but my story didn't quite go like that. I, I wasn't found all at once, but more over time. Every year, the wounds of that seventh grade year and the disorientation I felt diminished just a little bit more. But, you know, the truth is, It wasn't even really till I was in college that I found a group of guys where I could be in my own skin and develop some deep and meaningful friendships for the first time. And then since then, I've had other deep and meaningful friendships in other places, and it seems that somehow those friendships have slowly helped me become found. 
You see, the thing is, God sometimes uses friendships as much as anything else to pull us out from underneath the cushions and to rub a little of the tarnish off and to help us discover that, yeah, we do have value. And yes, we can not only find joy and laughter and celebration again, but we can offer that to others as well. Now, there's a lot more stories I could tell you about being lost in different ways, but, you know, Jesus only told three stories, so I'm going to do the same. And the last story I want to tell you is the story of being a lost pastor. You might remember that the prodigal son took his inheritance early and went to a foreign land where he thought he would find all of his heart's desires, and he used that money to live as large as he could. Well, to be clear, this is not a story about that time when I embezzled all kinds of money from the church I was serving and had a great time, but I have been a lost pastor. You see, I was in, when I was in seminary, I, I received an inheritance of my own, an inheritance of what a beautiful and meaningful church can actually be like. And I I ended up in this unique church that was creative and it was open hearted and it was thoughtful like a church I'd never been in. And it was warm spirited. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And it was the first time in a long time that church felt meaningful to me again. Now, to make a really long story short, I ended up on staff at that church, and I was mentored by that pastor, and it was through watching him that I began to think for the very first time, you know, if pastoring could look like that, then maybe I am being called to be a pastor. Well, the church decided I was, and eventually they ordained me, and they blessed me, and it was all part of this beautiful inheritance I received, only I was really eager to take that inheritance and go. I was really eager to get out of the wasteland of Texas and come back to the holy land of Missouri. Can you blame me? So as quick as I could, I found a church with an opening for a pastor. And sure, there were lots of signs that this wasn't really a good fit, but I was young and I was naive and I was determined that I could make it work. I could make that church become the kind of church that I wanted them to be. (laughs) Now, a quick side note here, never get into any relationship with that mentality, whether it's a romantic relationship or a relationship with a community or a job, if you think you're going to change them to suit you, you're not only fooling yourself, you're asking for all kinds of heartache. And that's exactly what I got. It was actually the very first time I had been a lead senior pastor. It was the very first time I had faced the demands of preaching every week. It was the first time I had ever been a supervisor to a staff. And as much as I knew about church history and theology and scripture, I didn't know a whole lot about leading and supervising and conflicts and all of that. And to add to all of that, there were some pretty profound dysfunctions in this church and some painful skeletons in the closet and quite a bit of dishonesty in the air that I started to discover from my first day in the office. 
I remember coming home thinking, I have no idea what to do with what I've just learned. But I did know that I had always been able to get an A in school, no matter how hard the assignment, if I just worked my hardest. I could earn people's trust. I could get an A. It was going to be okay. And so that's what I did. I gave it every ounce of energy I had, every bit of patience and self-control and kindness, every bit of learning, every ounce of hour of study and energy I could muster. Only it wasn't working. Not only did it become clear that they weren't really interested in what I had to say, I began to become a scapegoat for all of their skeletons in the closet. And for the first time in my life, I began to feel like an utter failure. And that's pretty demoralizing, you know, especially when you have a young wife, a couple young kids that you've moved across the country from a good job to take this new job where you thought you could provide and and it's kind of demoralizing when you've gone to school for all of those years to become a pastor and you've had a church ordain you and all those people invested in you and all you have to show for it week after week, month after month is more failure. So eventually pulling into the office each day, it felt like walking into that same thick air that you couldn't breathe, or gradually putting this same heavy weight on your shoulders. Kind of imagine it feeling a bit like the prodigal son going out to the field to scoop slop day after day, week after depressing week, month after long month. Everything in me dreaded it. I could barely keep my head above the water. Of course, the lost son began thinking about how his father's servants at least had a better job than this. I, I just kept thinking about how any job, and I'd had some hard ones before, but any job was better than this. Maybe I just needed to get out of pastoring. Maybe I was wrong. I wasn't called after a while, I was pretty sure that even if I went to another church, it, this work, it would crush my soul. And, you know, when you're in that kind of dysfunctional place, it's really hard to know. Is it me? Is it them? Is it both of us? I was lost. Well, a couple of years went by, and one day someone put me in contact with a church I had never heard of in St. Louis. He said we should get to know one another. We might be a good fit. And I, I got to be honest, I was pretty hesitant at first. There was a whole lot of questions I had about whether to stay or leave in the place I was at. Should I keep trying? Have I failed completely? Do I need to keep going? There was a lot of questions about whether I should just do something altogether different. But, you know, I decided to do what you do in the Internet dating age. I looked you all up online <laughs> and I asked around and I found out everything I could about you. And before too long, we started dating. 
So I sent Jesse on a reconnaissance visit to anonymously worship with you and get a little more info. And after the worship service that Sunday, she got in the car right out here in the parking lot and tears, tears began to come down her eyes. There are churches like this out there, she later told me. Churches with space for reflection and silence. Churches where hearts and minds can be opened together. Chris, it felt like coming home, she said. And so things moved forward. And 10 years ago this week, I preached my very first Sunday as your pastor. Of course, I don't recall anyone slaughtering a fatted calf for me when I came. But you all were pretty great. The way you welcomed and embraced not just me, but my family, it meant more to me than any steak ever could have. And pretty soon I was saying the same thing Jesse had said out in the parking lot. I, I feel like I've come home. Now, here's the thing about the prodigal son story. We don't actually know much about how things went after that homecoming party. If my experience has anything to tell me, I imagine the prodigal son was slowly changed through his experience of being found, but it took some time. I know I have been. It's not that I've never thought about leaving pastoral ministry in these last 10 years, because here's the thing, every pastor I know thinks about it on and off here and there. By the way, don't ever tell anybody that I admitted that to you. It's kind of part of the pastor code. You're not supposed to tell your congregation that. But sure, my mind has wandered from time to time about what God is calling me to next. Only I keep hearing different variations on this same theme. The theme like, there's work for you to do here, Chris. Do you see how their, your gifts and their needs fit so well for such a time as this? And the theme that goes a little like, there's gifts and this, this church is offering you, Chris. Do you see how their gifts and your needs fit so well for such time as this? And I do. I do see. Getting to be your pastor these last 10 years, it's not just been a homecoming. It's been a calling fulfilled. I thought about trying to list all the things that I'm grateful for and sort of a 10 years in review kind of thing. But, you know, this sermon's already getting a little long. So for today, just know that sharing these last 10 years of our lives together has not only helped me to be found, it's helped me to discover the heart of God for me. Which brings me back to our parables today. There are all kinds of ways we experience being lost. It can happen when we feel small and disoriented in the crowds of this world. It can happen when we 
face some kind of great change or rejection or loneliness. We can feel pretty lost when we can't see anything at all but our own failures and we can't smell anything at all but pig slop. But Jesus wants us to know. I want you to know that God is like a determined mother that will not listen to reason and will find you in that crowd. Nothing's going to stop her. And God will turn over all the cushions of her house and invite some friends to help her if that's what it takes to help you discover that you aren't forgotten and you have more value than you know. Finally, God is the one who will meet you when you're lost in your own great failures and struggles and lead you to some still waters until your soul is restored and you're ready to start walking again so that you can find those pastures where your gifts meet the world's needs and the pastures where the world's gifts meet your needs. It may be hard to believe when you're feeling lost, but this is what God is up to. That doesn't mean you won't get lost again. I mean, if my first 40 years are any indication, I I kind of expect I'm going to get lost quite a few more times in the next 40. But in all that back and forth of being lost and found, lost and found, lost and found again, you start to discover You start to trust that no matter what comes, God will find you and bring you home. Amen.